I'm very um, pleased to welcome and introduce you. David and I met in Dallas, not in Dallas, we met in uh, Tampa at a conference about three or four months ago and discovered that we had a whole lot of history in common. Anyway, we went to the same college in England, and uh, I won't go through the whole thing, but there are just a lot of cool connections. And uh, when I met David, I just recognized a spirit in him that would bless us here, and that we needed, that I don't have enough of, and I want to learn, and I don't care how old you are. I just say, where where God is, we want to learn together. And so we, I invited him up, and he graciously uh, came. He's got a wife and two ch- young children, and we've had a really wonderful time in the last few days sharing together. And maybe there'll be some more in the future, but uh, David's just going to share with us again today. And uh, we're so glad to have you, David. We pray blessing on you and those back home. And uh, let's pray for you. Father, I just thank you for David's humility. I thank you for his hunger for you that's caused him to seek out the things of your spirit and to make mistakes and to be quite open about that. That, Just as Peter said, I'm just a mere man. But thank you that mere men who are open to your spirit become extraordinary. And we just ask you right now to anoint David with extraordinary and that he would be able to speak your word to us and that we would have hungry hearts and open hearts and humble hearts to receive all that you have for us. We're often saying, Lord, why, why, why? And more often than not, you're also saying, here, here, here. And so, Father, we receive from you through this brother, and we pray blessing on him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John, thank you. We were a bit, actually in Florida, a bit raucous. We were there with all these clergy, and I looked around, and um, I always tend to gravitate. It was the same in school. I went to, uh, I grew up in northern New Brunswick, and uh, my first day of school, I ended up with the wrong, you know, those kids in the class, and I got sent to the uh, principal's office with a note, and the teacher, her, whose name was uh, Celle Duguay, it was a French, French school, her note said, uh, deal with him, he's the Antichrist. So I've always kind of gravitated, not towards Antichrist types, but uh, uh, to, uh, uh, gravitated towards the raucous types. And so, John, I think we uh, we pulled another guy from Vancouver, Joshua Shu, in, and the three of us seemed to laugh most of the time. And we weren't irreverent, but we were close. So I think we stayed on the right side of the line, and we had a lot of fun, and it was great. And it's wonderful to be here. There's this incredible thing, isn't there? Uh, it's true for me, and if we're honest, I think it's true for, for all of us, that when we go through something difficult, we'll often ask God for answers. And God being God doesn't give us the answers we look for. And that's a mystery that we have to deal with. Instead, what he gives us is more about who he is and seeks to give us his peace. We want the answers. Why, why, why did, it, why did that happen? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And he, he tolerates. He, he listens. He's very patient. And what he seeks to give us is something that we need more than the answer. It's not all about here, is it? It's not really primarily, but it's about the heart. And he seeks to give us the one thing that will change our heart, which is more of him and, and, and peace in, the, in, the, in that place of pain. And so I, we, we had a wonderful time together looking at, uh, over the last few days, of the interplay of how God has given us the gift of the Spirit, not so that I could be spectacular or so that I could actually be powerful, but for the sake of the common good. So every one of you, as you came in here today, you have something that is actually not for you, but to give away, to bless somebody else. And most of the time we're unaware of it. 
if you're anything like me, you can think, what do I have to offer? What do I have to give? You know, I'm, I'm really well aware and acquainted with my shortcomings and my failings. But actually, if we realize that because of the cross, God no longer relates to us according to our failings, but only according to the good in us, then all of a sudden we need to start to take our eyes off of our shortcomings and not become inflated and seek to be spectacular, but actually just to see ourselves the way that God sees us and see that actually I'm more than, than who others say I am. I am who God says I am. And my prayers are powerful and effective. And actually, the words I speak, I can actually speak in love and encourage and minister to others. And it's just, a, it's just for me, that was just so, so powerful and so life-changing when I was able to, in a way, get over myself which is, is, you know, when you're prone to the to drama like I am, it's no easy feat. But anyway, there we are. Um, and briefly, in our time we have together, I just wanted to look at one verse that was read. And it's, uh, we, we had a number of verses read to us, but this is what I wanted to read to us. And I just spend a bit of time unpacking. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It's incredible. Think about this. The Word made flesh. The first part that we, first place we come across the Word is in Genesis. Chaos reigned. And we have this image of the Spirit of God brooding over the chaos. And so if your life is chaotic here this morning outside of church, then you're in good company because God draws near to those whose lives are chaotic. And so we have a picture in Genesis of the spirit hovering over the chaos of the waters. And then what happens? By the spoken word, the Lord begins to create and bring order. And so think of all of the creative power of God. You don't have to go far in British Columbia to see the glory of God. All you have to do is look to nature, to look at Sprout Lake, you know, and to look at other, just, just the, the sound of the rain falling. You might be tired of the rain falling, uh, but coming from Texas, where rain and water is in short supply, I've loved hearing the sound of the rainfall. It's been, it's been actually incredible. So the Word, God uses the Word to create, to bring order where there's chaos. And in verse 14 here, as John is introducing the life of Jesus, we've actually come to the climax of all that he has to say in this first chapter. So if you get a hold of this verse, you don't actually have to read the the rest of chapter 1 because it's all here. We see that all up until verse 14, there have been these hidden references to who Jesus is. And all of a sudden, he goes public. The agent of creation has become a creature. No other religion on earth, system of belief, believes this. That the agent of creation has become a creature. He who brought the universe into existence now is born within the universe as a human being. And John says that when we see this word made flesh, we see glory. I don't know about you. I used to watch a bit of God TV and I have no opinion anymore about what's on God TV. But when you do watch religious broadcasting or hear all that kind of stuff, you can hear a lot of lingo. And that just doesn't make sense. And glory is one of those words that I've heard many times I was once preaching somewhere and people kept shouting glory and I wasn't quite sure what was what they meant, but it was encouraging. So, you know, it was kind of nice. But what does it mean when 
John says we see glory. What is he getting at? Because John says when we see the word made flesh, we see glory. And John, when he talks about flesh, what he's talking about is he's, he's making reference to that which is natural. The flesh is that which is powerless. The flesh is something that's superficial. And what's so incredible is the flesh becomes that which is natural, superficial, powerless, becomes that which is filled with all of the power of creation. And so when we see the word made flesh, we see here that actually that which is powerless becomes something that is spirit bearing. That is something that is pregnant with power. It is something that has something within it that is no longer where its state has been changed. And that becomes you and I. I don't know if you feel powerful this morning, but you, can, you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can leave here as something that is spirit-bearing, something that becomes an agent of more than yourself, where you can be used by a power that the world has yet to fully see the full limits of. And you can begin to become and continue to be an agent of change, because that is what glory is. We can stop living out of the limitations of our shortcomings, out of these learned patterns of behavior, where instead of getting to that place where I might be rejected, I'm going to sabotage the relationship first so at least it ends in my own control. Not, I'm not held hostage at the will he, will he or will he not, will she or will she not love me. I'll end the relationship early. Therefore, I won't have to worry about whether it's going to fail or not. That's a learned pattern of behavior that's not from God. And that can stop. How? Because we can start to live out of something that is different. We can start to live out of the glory of God, out of the presence of God. But what does it mean when we talk about glory? Well, glory is used throughout the scriptures in a progressive way. So when the people of Israel are leaving slavery and they're crossing into the promised land, they, um, they're walking through the desert. And the desert by day is very hot And the desert by night is very cold. And so God manifests his glory as a big pillar. Kind of extreme, but there we have it. And so the glory of God is manifested in a way to provide for the people of Israel their basic practical needs. So in the heat of the day, the glory of God is manifested and gives them shade. In the cold of night, the glory of God is manifested as a pillar of fire to give them heat so they don't die of exposure. Now, God may or may not, I don't think he will likely manifest himself in our service as a cloud or as fire. I could be, I'm happy to be proved wrong. But he does manifest in our lives today to provide for us our most basic needs. The greatest prayer of faith is the prayer that goes like this. Help. That's the start of faith. Help. And then God, by his spirit, God in his manifests his presence. So what do I mean by when I say manifest? Manifest just means you can see something is happening. Something is happening that is of God. Something is happening that is of God. And then the story continues and Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And uh, he speaks to God like a, you know, a petulant child would speak. He says, show me your glory. And, and God says, no, you can't see my face and live. No one can. So I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And all, actually the, script, the, the, te- the, the text says, I will cause my backside to pass in front of you. And you will see all of my goodness. 
So God's got a glorious backside. I mean, I'm not making it up. It's in the Hebrew. I didn't even take Hebrew. So somebody else interpreted it for me. But he says, I will cause you to hide in the, in the cleft of the rock and all of my goodness will pass before you. And so we have this picture that actually when God manifests his glory in those moments, we learn something of his character. We learn something of his nature. And the, what Moses learns on the top of the mountain isn't that God is angry. It's not that God's disappointed. It's not that God has been surprised by how horrible a man Moses is and the people of Israel. No, it's insight all of a sudden that God is good. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought that God would be good? What surprise? And God, out of his goodness, gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And it's not that thou shalt not. It's more that follow this and you'll know exactly where you stand with me. How many of us have ever had a relationship with someone and it's teacher or parent or friend. And it's like the goalposts keep shifting. And one day you kind of know where you stand. But the next time you see them, you're wondering, where do I stand with them? What do they want of me? I can't figure it out. It's a mystery. And often we can project that onto God. But God in his glory reveals himself to us as he's good. He's in a good mood. I used to find that offensive. That God would have a mood and he'd be in a good mood. But shoot, God is good. And then, and then it, it, it continues after the story of the Exodus. They go into the promised land. We learn that God's a provider. Uh, it carries on. and We get to the book of Judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And absolute chaos blows up. And the, the people are being decimated by enemies left and right. And we have a coward who's hiding in the wine press trying to, you know, thresh wheat. And God appears to him and says, rise up, mighty warrior. And suddenly we see that the glory of God, the presence of God has this thing about it where we are no longer, our lives are no longer judged by our performance. Because today, if you're a mighty warrior in the eyes of our culture, you've done a couple of tours in Afghanistan. You've survived IEDs blowing up on the side of the road. You've done Iraq. You maybe have been, you know, uh, gone for training somewhere. I don't know. But in the eyes of God, it's not based on your performance because a coward in the eyes of God is renamed as someone who's courageous, who's a mighty warrior. And he has no track record. And his identity shifts from that of performance to being who God says he is. And the story progresses and progresses and it builds and builds. And finally, the word is made flesh and we've seen his glory. And John, when he's writing, he's speaking specifically to a cultural expectation. And families would talk about the glory of the Father. And the glory of the Father was like this. If your parenting was spot on, and if your children responded to your parenting the way they should, then the child would perfectly reflect the character of their father. And if you were the only son... And if you're the eldest, well, if you're the only son, you're also the eldest son. But all of this came on the eldest son. And if you're only, the only son, and there were, then, then it was on you, really, the responsibility. Because the idea was that if the son, and, you know, it wasn't perfect. It was a fallen society as it is now, where too much weight was put on the expectation of men and the position of women wasn't honored the way it should be. But things are changing. But the cultural expectation was that if the son reflected the character of the father, it would bring honor to the family and the status of the whole family would rise. And so we've seen the glory, the glory of, as an only son. 
And what is the glory we've seen? In Jesus, we see the perfect reflection of God. And that is glorious. You want to know what God looks like? Look to Jesus. How does God view women? How did Jesus relate to women? Does God love children? How did Jesus relate to children? Does God like sinners? Does God like prostitutes? How did Jesus relate to prostitutes? If I'm honest, he really annoyed the religious leaders because he was acting in a way that they didn't expect. He was acting in a way that they thought was wrong. But Jesus was glorious in how he reflected the character of the Father. And as we look at Jesus, we see glory. Now, in all of the other uh, gospel accounts, one of the main moments of glory is in the transfiguration. He takes two of the disciples up to a mountain and the, the heavens are ripped open and it's just this incredible scene. But in John, there is no moment of transfiguration. There is no moment. Instead, we see that as he goes about his ministry, he manifests the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that you can see that God is beginning to break the rules. Water is water. It's made up of hydrogen and oxygen, H2O. You can boil water. You can freeze water. You can do anything you want to water, but you cannot turn it into something else other than steam, ice, ice cubes, ice pack, that kind of stuff. But Jesus goes, and he's at a wedding in Cain of Galilee, and you will have heard the story forever. I mean, it's incredible. He just made every party better. I wouldn't expect anyone to do this in church, but he goes and they've run out of wine. They're out of booze. And what does he go? He says, his mother comes to him and he says, brings the servants. He says, do what my son says, because his mother sees something in him that no one else has seen yet. And that's often true. Mothers, you see things in your children that are true that the world hasn't seen yet. And and his mother says, you know, go and, and help them out. And so he goes to the water And he doesn't just make one bottle. He doesn't just make two bottles or three bottles or four bottles, but he prays over the wine. And John says he manifests his glory, which means that he works outside of the natural order of things. And he makes 678 pints of wine. Think about it. I had a Boston pizza pint of beer, and it was as much as I could probably stand and, you know, talk. Jesus makes 678 pints of wine. There was so much wine there that the, 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 the father of the bride could have gone into business and made a fortune with the wine. Just bottle it up somehow and just kind of thing. It's an excessive amount of wine. They couldn't have drunk it all that night. They probably tried. They probably had headaches the next day. And there would have been a talk of the town. That would have been the best party the world has ever seen. I remember uh, Canada Day in St. Andrews, New Brunswick in, in 1999. And they kind of did a fireworks show at the end of the pier. And, and they didn't have much. And Anyway, there was a guy named Ronnie Sinke. Everybody knew Ronnie Sinke. He was a bit eccentric. He was a do-gooder. And he's there lighting the fireworks. And he catches on. Somehow he catches on fire. And everybody's there on the coast watching, waiting for the, for the fireworks to go up. And all they see is Ronnie Sinke. From this, the, the, the tide was in. He could have jumped on either side of the pier and put the fire out. Not Ronnie. He runs the whole length of the pier and jumps into the water at the very end. And the RCMP had to fish him out somehow. And the next year, in 2000, they, take a, they put a toll in and they raise all this money for the fireworks display. It was like the best fireworks display in the province. And you know what people said? It was great. 
But it wasn't quite as good as when Ronnie Sinky set himself on fire. I have no idea what that has to do with what we're talking about, but it kind of makes the point. People have a way of remembering when things get excessive. It was excessive that he got lit on fire. We wanted to see a firework, not, you know, a barbecue. But everybody remembered Ronnie Sinky. Everybody in that town would remember that this Jesus was excessive. He didn't just make enough, but he made more than enough. And he manifested the glory of God because that tells us that not only is God good, but he's generous. Not only did he create the world, but he's willing to use his creative power in our lives so that his love for us can be made known. And not just his love, because we all have this mixed up idea of love that, um, but this is a love that's generous, that gives more than you deserve. And fast forward. Jesus in his ministry goes from a wedding to all kinds of different stuff. And he hears that his friend has died and he goes to a funeral. And his friend has been dead for three years, three days, sorry. (laughs) I added stuff in here. Three days he's dead. His name's Lazarus. And I've seen CSI. I've seen CSI Miami. I've seen CSI Las Vegas. And I've seen CSI New York. I prefer Miami, but there you go. We all uh, have our own. I know, what it, I know thanks to Hollywood, because I'm sure everything in Hollywood isn't exaggerated. But we all know that after three days, it starts to stink. And John includes that detail. And Jesus goes, and he weeps. And all of a sudden, we see a picture of glory is that God isn't just up there, washed his hands of us. God suffers when we suffer. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. And he goes to, and the people are wailing and they're crying, they're making a big old mess and it's all proper and right. And Jesus manifests his glory and he says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead is brought to life after three days. And he comes out. And Martha, who'd been so upset, comes to Jesus. And Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed in me, you would see glory? Everyone here is alive still, right? Some of you are nodded off, and I understand. Take the sleep. You probably need it more than need to hear from me, but we all have dreams that have died, or maybe we have questions coming at the stage of life we're in, saying, what if only, what if only I'd left the island and gone to Vancouver? What if only, what if only I did something different in a relationship and I wasn't left where I am? What if, what if, what if? God understands. Jesus is the only person you never have to explain yourself to. He gets it. But when we see Jesus, we see glory. And you, you see Jesus comes in and he takes those questions and he just puts them to one side and he says they're not helpful. They're not helpful. And he comes in and he says, let's just bring these dreams back to life. Let's just bring these dreams back to life. Let's bring these hopes back to life. Let me get to work on you. Get to know my Father. And you will see that you can love again. You can hope again. And then we get to this haunting part of the scriptures. And it, it, is, it sends a chill through your spine when you read John chapter 12, verse 23. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's because the glory of God is supremely seen in the death of Jesus, in the death of his Son. And it's absolutely remarkable. In In New Brunswick, I don't know what it's like in British Columbia. Everything we're told in New Brunswick is that everything's better in the West. I can't comment. I like what I've seen, though. But we had to read Charles Dickens. And some of you will will know maybe A Tale of Two Cities. It's one of the few works of literature where the opening lines and closing lines are similar. And you might remember this from grade 12 English. 
It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. And the closing lines are, it was, it's a far, far better thing that I do than I have done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. And the, remember, you may remember the two main characters, Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton. They're both completely unrelated, but they look rather similar. And they both love the same woman, making of a good movie already. And Charles wins, and he marries her. But Charles Darnay has one particular handicap. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Charles Darnay's handicap is that he's a French aristocrat, and the time is the French Revolution. And rather foolishly, he goes back to Paris, and he's arrested. And he's put in the Bastille, and he's due to be introduced to Madame Guillotine. Sidney Carton hears this. And in order to save the woman he loves from the agony of losing her husband, he decides to take Darnay's place. And so Sidney gets smuggled into prison. He subdues Charles and has Charles smuggled out. He puts on his clothes and he goes to the guillotine in this man's place. And so in A Tale of Two Cities, Sidney Carton's moment of glory was in taking Charles Darnay's place and dying instead of him. And so the moment of supreme glory for the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, the moment of supreme glory in our history wasn't when the Canadian dollar was equal to the American dollar. Though that was nice, eh? The, the, the Texans don't understand it. You know, they're kind of like, why is he ending everything with a question? But, you know, we've learned that you can say really strong things and make them acceptable by putting a question at the end. So I try that. They're catching on, maybe. But the moment of supreme glory for our history was the moment when the Son of God, all of the creative power of heaven, the agent of creation, become a creature. The moment of supreme glory is when he, in absolute, perfect reflection of the character of his Father, in perfect reflection of the love that the Father has for people who still hated him, who did not know him yet, the moment of supreme glory is when he is lifted up on the cross in humiliation, shame, degradation, and he takes our place. In that act of grace and mercy, he takes upon himself the wrath of God. I deserve wrath. I've blown it time and time again. I've hurt people I don't easily love. In fact, left to my own devices, I won't love anyone. I'm so selfish. I spend most of my time thinking about myself. But the Holy Spirit takes my attention off of myself and lifts it onto God. And something of the glory of God, I don't understand it, it's a mystery, comes into my heart. And all of a sudden, people who are different from me, I have something for them that I don't naturally have and I can begin to love them. Their differences don't annoy me. But I find actually in their differences, there's something in there that I quite like. All of a sudden I start acting in ways that aren't just self-seeking. They're actually, you know, what we might call community. And so in this moment of glory, Jesus takes upon himself the wrath that I deserve and the wrath that you deserve. You may not know this, but you've lived a horrible life and you, you deserve punishment. You all do. But you're not going to get it. Because in a moment of supreme glory, Jesus has died in his perfect life. He takes, he has taken the place that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve. And wait for it, there's more. Once he's taken upon all of that wrath, 
we become free to receive what he only was able to receive, which is the goodness of God, so that the goodness of God is now free to flow into us and flow out of us, so that what was only possible by the only perfect son, somehow because of the glory we've seen in Jesus, the whole, the, the whole reputation of the family has increased. And who is the family of God? It's you and I. And because of the glory of Jesus, now how we are seen is better than we ought to be seen. And because of the glory of Jesus, and because of what he's done by taking our place, now the glory of God can be made manifest through our prayers, through our actions. Not for my sake, but for the sake of the common good. So that somebody comes in, beaten up, chewed up, spit up by the world. And they come to Jericho Road. And one of you turns to them. And in an act of kindness, the glory of God is manifested. And this tends to look one of two ways. The glory of God made manifest is the knowledge of the love of the Father. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. But how do we see Jesus today? It's when we make our hearts available to the Holy Spirit. And prompted by the Holy Spirit, we do things we wouldn't normally do and we act in a way that's kind and loving. And we share the love of God. How do I share the love of God? Sometimes all that you need to do is say hello. Sometimes all you need to do is compliment. Sometimes all you have to do is say a prayer for someone. Sometimes you have no idea what you're doing, but you know that you know God and you just say, Come, Holy Spirit, I have no idea what needs to be done here, but I know you because I've seen Jesus. And I know what Jesus has done for me. Do it for them. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. I mean, if you've been in church long enough, you know that after the third day, he rose again. He didn't go into retirement. He's not in Comox playing golf, you know, living on the golf course. Though I'm told it's glorious. Before the day of Pentecost, he ascended into heaven. He defies again the natural laws of nature. And he he like flies up in some way that I don't even understand. I wasn't that big of a fan of Star Trek, so I couldn't begin to explain it to you. But he goes up into heaven and he takes on a new official role. He's working harder than he's ever worked in his life because he's at the right hand of God as our advocate, as our lawyer, the best lawyer ever, the best, you know, forget about calling Saul. Anybody seen Better Call Saul? No? You're more redeemed than I thought. That's great. Um, don't watch. It's not worth your time. But, you know, he's not a lawyer that's an ambulance chaser. He's the one who actually puts up the perfect defense for you when you blow it. Because you know what he says? The judge sees the evidence of what you've done. And then the son comes and stands in front of his father. And he moves away all the evidence that's there for your life. And he says, consider my record. And because of that, you are given a spotless record. You haven't earned it. It's given. That's glorious. So someone comes in and they're sick. What do we do? We pray that God would manifest his glory. Someone comes in and their heart is sick because they've been alone, all kinds of responsibility, caring for someone that, you know, it's just a test day in, day out, and they receive prayer, and God manifests his glory. And all of a sudden, all of the fatigue washes away. All of the responsibility is just kind of lifted a little bit off their shoulders and joy enters their heart. It happened yesterday. I won't call anyone out. I'll let them tell you in their own time. But we had these incidents of just the spirit making the joy of the Lord known. There was a lot of laughter. 
I didn't expect to come to British Columbia and laugh so much, but we laughed, didn't we, John? The Word has made flesh and has dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. We've seen His glory. God is not mad. He's not angry. He thinks more highly of you than you think of yourself. He's never surprised. He knows you too well to be disappointed. He thinks more highly of you than you think of yourself. And He's good. And you can become acquainted again with exactly where you stand with Him because of His goodness. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. The glory of a Son, perfect Son to the Father, perfectly reflecting the nature of God. And we're going to ask in a moment for God to reveal exactly how He feels about you by the power of His Holy Spirit that you this morning might get a a fresh insight into the glory of God. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm simply going to pray and ask God to manifest His glory. And that's not jargon. I'm going to ask for Him to help us see what He's doing and making Himself known. And some people feel nothing. You can ask John. He, he's he's kind of told me already that, you know, these things happen. He feels nothing. And he's like the senior pastor. So if that's that's true for you, then you're in good company. Others will feel peace, especially if you're worrying about something or anxious. You can feel peace. Others might feel a tingling. Others might feel might shake a little. Others might um, their bodies might react in a certain way. And the reason that is, is that our bodies are fallen. Our bodies, they get old, they develop warts. They kind of, you know, we become arthritic, can't touch our toes anymore. They're not, and they, can, they cannot perfectly receive the presence of God. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in and fills our bodies, there can be a bit of shaking going on because it's, it just, it's not a perfect, you know, uh, receptacle. But a day is coming when our bodies will be renewed and restored and we'll perfectly be able to imbibe the presence of God. And so sometimes there's a bit of a reaction. For those who have experienced great pain of the heart, God lets the, the pain out. He lets you make a mess. We've got plenty of tissue somewhere. And then he takes, you've got to get the tears out for the joy to come in. And some of you have been going for a long time and you're tired. And your heart is, you're, you may be lonely you may be angry, you may be sad, and that's okay. God knows. You don't have to explain it to him. He knows. <laughs> and when we invite the Holy Spirit to come, it's just an invitation to offer that to him so that he can help you carry it. So, in fact, he can actually carry you in it and so that he can pour some of his glory into your heart. So why don't we stand? And let me pray. And I'm just gonna, if you want to respond to this, you want to see something of the glory Just hold your hands out like this and just in the quiet of your heart so nobody can hear you, just repeat after me. Take, Lord, and receive all that I am, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my successes, all of my failings. I offer it all to you and all that I ask in return is for your Holy Spirit, for you to manifest your glory in my life. That is enough for me. Amen. Now, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've been with us all weekend, all day. You're with us even now, but for honest, we can lose sight that you are with us. And so we ask now that you would come by your spirit. What we mean by that is that you'd give us a renewed sense of your perception among us, of your presence among us, that you would make our hearts sensitive 
as Cheryl said, to feel your presence here. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. More of you. More of you. More of you. And just as you um, receive from the Lord, just say thank you. I receive by faith. Just begin to give thanks to him for something, anything. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, more of you. And this might be new to you, and that's okay. Just, just watch and just observe. No pressure. This isn't about performance. It's for more of you. And just as a way of prayer, I'm just going to sing a song over us. Because sometimes something sung is easier to rec- more easy to receive than something understood. So just, there's no expectation on you whatsoever. Just, just keep seeking to receive from the Lord. And if you want to join in, feel free. But there's no pressure. In the presence of your glory, I find peace that makes me whole. In the depths of your love, I find strength that makes me whole. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. I love, I love, I love your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, some of you uh, have been with us for the last few days and been at this conference. And you have received something, certainly not from me, but from the Lord. And you've come with it this morning. So I'm just going to ask, because um, I'm not going to pray for any of you, because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are made manifest for the common good. This is a work of the people, a work of the community. So I'm going to ask those of, who are willing, who are here over the conference, just to come forward in front of the stage and face that way. Great. Just, just space yourselves out. There are a few of you. I won't call you out. I won't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. So now, those of you who are here today, you know these people. You know who they are. You worship with them every week. And God is looking to manifest his glory in your life. And if you would like to receive a taste of that glory, I'm going to ask you to come forward and come up to one of these people. And they're going to pray for you. Very simply, Lord, manifest your glory in their life. You might need physical healing. You might have a need that has not been met, you might actually, you may not feel powerful. And here's an opportunity for you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray a prayer and then just going to invite you to come forward if you'd like to and to receive prayer from one of your community. Because God, by His Spirit, makes Himself known through the community. So Heavenly Father, we offer you this opportunity to receive from you and ask that you would come now in power. Make yourself known. We've seen 
His glory. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among them, and we have seen His glory. Lord, may we see Your glory now. Amen.